0: What's good, everyone? I'm Langston Clark, founder and organizer of Entrepreneurial Appetite, a series of events dedicated to building community, promoting intellectualism, and supporting Black businesses. Welcome to the Entrepreneurial Appetite special series about Black philanthropy. As part of Black Philanthropy Month, we highlight how entrepreneurship can spur Black philanthropy in conversation with philanthropic leaders and entrepreneurs. In this episode of Entrepreneurial Appetite, I partner with my friend, Anthony Heaven, for a conversation with Roosevelt Giles, chairman of the Stakeholder Impact Foundation, a nonprofit organization that curates programming to train the next generation of diverse corporate board members and CEOs. So without
1: further ado, Anthony,
0: the pilot seat is yours.
1: Thank you so much, Langston, for that introduction. It's great to see you, bro. I'm excited about this conversation, Mr. Giles, with you and looking forward to, to jumping right in. As a little bit of more context about myself, as Langston mentioned, I do do, I am a fundraising consultant. So I work for Graham Pelton doing fundraising consulting, the a vice president working specifically as our higher education practice group leader. So without further ado, I want to jump right in. And I have a question for you, Mr. Giles. So, you know, August is Black Philanthropy Month, and to kick us off, I want to know what is your definition of philanthropy and how do you conceptualize your role as a philanthropist?
2: Well, when you look at philanthropy, it's anything will do as long as it's about helping someone other than yourself and your relatives. It's a state of mind is what it is. And and that state of mind means the fact of having a purpose, having a purpose in your life where you want to be able to share the positive things. That have occurred in your life and to be able to help someone else who may be able to benefit, okay, from what you have done and they can in turn pay it forward. That's awesome. That's awesome.
1: And I want to know a little bit more about how you became who you are. We know you're doing some great work as the chairman of the Stakeholder Impact Foundation, et cetera, corporate diversification work. Tell us a little bit more about how you arrived at this point in your life and career. Well,
2: you look at my. My background in things is no different from millions of other black people. I'm a product of, of a sharecropper family. I was born a sharecropper. I picked cotton, I plowed mews, and I only got to go to school when it rained. Okay, so you prayed for rain, right? That's <laughs> what happens. And and so mm-hmm. yeah. I didn't like it when I was doing it, but uh, now I I understand that it made me a much better person. And when you're coming up in that particular environment, it is true that you are raised by a village. All right. Well, that village was organization of people and families who acted as one. We shared food. We shared clothes, We shared happiness. We shared sadness. That's what we shared. We shared everything pretty much there. And it was all about it was all about giving, even though you didn't have. Much to give, but whatever you had, you you gave it. And parents used to always say the fact that you have to leave this world a little better than when in in which you received it. You might have been given a bad hand, but it's up to you whether or not you're gonna make that into lemonade. Is what you're gonna do. And so, and 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 that's what I did. I never would have thought that I would have come from picking cotton Mm -hmm. to technology. And I, I I used this this scenario when. I, I talked to the majority groups where I my pro my hand was programmed for picking cotton. It's what it was to do this, but I'm now doing this. Mm-hmm. Okay. programming apps. Okay, cybersecurity is what I'm doing. And so, if you look at, it, there's a lot of white space between cotton, PC. P- start with PC, right? Mm-hmm. Programming computers. PC, PC, right? <laughs> uh, <yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> programming, picking gun, programming computers. So mm-hmm. in order for me to have gotten where I am today, that means that a lot of people had to believe in what? Philanthropy. <laughs> mm-hmm. A lot of people had to believe in philanthropy. Those individuals took their time, their talents and their resources and helped me, okay, is what they did. Well, there is no way, no way, no how that I would have come from picking cotton to programming computers, no
1: mm-hmm. way that way. It sounds like you really espoused that it takes a village
2: approach, right? To get to to where you are now. 100%, 100% it takes a village. And one of the things I feel like that we lose in that village, mm-hmm. I, I think that you know individualism has taken hold. Okay, versus that coach. It's all about me, 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 me.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And if you take that M and turn it around, is we. <laughs> That's right. Mm-hmm. So they need to do the inverse of that. It's about we, it's not me. It's what it's about. That's right. That's right. So I think this is a great
1: opportunity for you to tell a story. I know you, again, you're working as a chairman of Stakeholder Impact Foundation. As you mentioned, you went from picking cotton to working with technology. And so tell us about how you started, specifically that Stakeholder Impact Foundation work, thinking about the diversification of boards. How did you start that? How did you help to, to build it into what it is now?
2: Well, if, if, if you look at the fact of the world runs on capitalism, and until if you don't understand that, you get hurt. Mm-hmm. You're right. When you look at from the standpoint of being able to understand how the capital system works, then you know, understand how to navigate it. When you look at today, and it's always been that way, the board of directors of a company is like the Supreme Court.
3: Mm-hmm. Look
2: at our slogan in the Stakeholder Impact Foundation says the boardroom represent the Supreme Court of Stakeholder Capitalism. Mm. Yep. And another slogan is the boardroom represent the stakeholder equity. Okay. And so so what does that mean? That means everybody. When you look at the Supreme Court decision regarding Roe versus
3: Wade,
2: Mm -hmm. the first real test where everybody knew what those nine individuals can do, how they can impact your life. And now with the recent ruling, okay, on affirmative action, they really now know. Yeah. Because those individuals, once they make a ruling, good, bad, and indifferent, that's the law of the land. All right. And so when you look at a company, if you look at a company like a Supreme Court, Mm -hmm. those individuals sitting around that table. Once they have all in favor, I, and the eyes have it, that is the law of the land on that issue in that company. Now, what might that issue be? Mm -hmm. A equity, gender equity. How are we going to, who in the community we're going to support? What nonprofit in the community we're going to support? What Mm -hmm. supply diversity initiatives as we're going to have on outreach so we can grow the minority supply base, Mm -hmm. all right? Who are we going to promote? What job training and things that we're going to have? Are we going to be paying our employees a living wage? All of that start in the boardroom. And so if you do not have a seat around that Supreme Court table, mm-hmm. everything is background noise. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. For people out doing what? People out protesting around the Supreme Court regarding the ruling? They're not, that's not <laughs> going to change it. You, you know what changes it? People getting out to vote. <laughs> mm-hmm. Okay. That's the power that each individual has. Okay. Is that vote? Mm -hmm. Now you can get change. And that's how we see that from a capitalist standpoint of you get a diverse ethnic group, a diverse voice to Mm -hmm. break group think around corporate boards. Now what you find is that the board board hires a CEO is what the board hires. Mm -hmm. And the CEO then does what? hires a team. Mm
3: -hmm.
2: That team hires a team. And so if you think about the fact that if you got a majority of women and underrepresented on the board, now Mm -hmm. look at the makeup of the company. Now look at the Look at the community and the investments that the company can make in the community. Now look at job opportunities that can be provided inside the company. Look at the pay equity, employee benefits, health child childcare, all of those things now can be done. And without having that seat at the table, that doesn't happen. So several years ago, and I've been thinking about this for about five or six years, talking to some of my buddies in South Africa and the fact that, you know, only way change is going to come about is that you got to have to seat at the table. And Dr. King knew this. Dr. Dr. King stated the fact that you got to have a seat at the table. Shirley should yeah. stated that if you don't have a chair to sit in, bring one, okay? And so the I said, well, what we will then do, I will do is that I will get me up, go and get some of my buddies and we will start a board readiness program mm-hmm. where black men and women, Asian men and women, Latino men and women, white women, LGBTQ plus, we will take them through a six-month program, tuition free, tuition free. Not one Lincoln penny they pay. All right. And mm-hmm. we take them through six months of rigorous board governance mm-hmm. from boats to boats. They have 17 case studies. They have each one of them get assigned a publicly traded company for their case study. At the end of that, they have to create a SWAT report for that company, and they have to defend it to a defense committee. Being a PhD, you know what defense, the they defense committee is. That's right. So they have to defend that report against this three-person defense committee. Then what we do, we give that report to the company. And so the company can now see the thought leadership from these individuals who have studied your company for six months and you didn't even know it. And what that does now, it elevates these individuals that the people sitting around that table can see what they're missing out on. Mm, This is the level of thinking. This is the level of innovation. This is the level of thought leadership that you're leaving on the table here. Mm -hmm. That's what we are so excited about. And we've got over a hundred faculty members. Wow. We have recruited. Mm-hmm. To teach this curriculum because when a underrepresented go into a boardroom, they've got this whole ecosystem around them. All right, mm-hmm. it's what they have, so they're not going in that. They're not going in that in that uh, in that boardroom alone. is what they're not doing. Right. And one of the things that we give each one of our our fellows, mm-hmm. we give them this Phillips screwdriver. We give them the Phillips screwdriver, and what this Phillips screwdriver represents says engraved on it: Upon entering the boardroom, remove the door. But mm. we want others to come behind you. That's right. We don't want you walking in that room and you well welding the door shut. Well, we got one. We don't need any others. Mm-hmm. Okay? It's yeah. all about inclusion. It's all about inclusion. It's what that represents. And so we're making tremendous inroads in getting companies to understand that this is in their best interest, okay, to have this diverse voice, diverse market. You're leaving money on the table mm-hmm. by recruiting and placing these candidates on your board.
1: I love that. That's And I love how you, you've thought strategically about corporate engagement, because on one hand, as you mentioned earlier, I think we think about, you know, being in the boardroom as an individualistic type of endeavor, like it, it strengthens your profile, it increases your financial capacity. And of course, we know that people of color give more of their discretionary income to philanthropy. So that's one way in which it impacts philanthropy. But it sounds like you have a holistic model that also supports the general uplift of our community, as well as taking, uh, you mentioned prior to us starting the recording, taking some of the proceeds and reinvesting in into the community. And so have you seen that when boards diversify, that there is more of this corporate responsibility and corporate philanthropy to um, underserved communities?
2: 100%.
1: 100%.
2: Not only that, McKinsey did a study where the economics for the company increases. mm mm-hmm. Company to make more money because of the fact that I was on a meeting this morning with a pharmaceutical company
3: mm-hmm.
2: who is provide testing for you know genomics and so in talking they do not have not one diverse candidate on their board. It's what they do not have. And what I stated to them, I said that when I went to your website and viewed your regulatory filing, mm-hmm. the neon sign for me that stood out is that you all, everybody you have around your board is life science. And it the neon sign was groupthink. Nothing but groupthink I saw coming from this company. Wow, mm-hmm. That's all I saw coming from this company. All mm-hmm. right. And so you have a tremendous opportunity here. To be able to do well by doing good, by partnering with various other strategic partners like insurance companies and and companies with their health benefit plans to provide Mm -hmm. this this testing so that people can see what their baselines are. All right. Mm -hmm. It's what they can do. And especially in the brown communities. You got you got you you got a heck of an opportunity here. They almost fell out of the chute. The, the nugget that I gave him could represent a billion dollars plus on their bottom line. Wow! Yeah, I gave them, and they were like falling out of their shoes on this on the on this meeting this morning because mm-hmm. they had never heard of it. They didn't mm-hmm. have a diverse voice because all of the people sitting around the table are white. Okay, but you look at your customer base and what is it? It's brown. Mm-hmm. You have sitting around that table that can give you okay the scar tissue and can give you what those markets need.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And I get and I did a parallel on sickle cell.
3: Okay. Mm-hmm.
2: Right. It's how I parallel it. And they were like, oh my God, can't believe this. Oh, yeah. That's what you get when you bring these diverse ethnic people mm-hmm. in the room at the table and you take away this group thing, is what you take away. Yes, I love that. One of the
1: things that I've been hearing a lot lately pertains to fit, right? We talk about fit of a candidate for an organization or for a board. And a couple of years back, I heard we don't want someone who will fit. We want someone who will disrupt and provide, not disrupt in a negative way, but provide alternative ways of thinking that will increase our innovation. Because to your point, you gave a great statistic from McKinsey & Company. And Fundera's research shows that diverse teams are 70% more Likely to acquire new markets, right? So, so we're we're seeing that that helps position companies. A question for you, because a lot of people are starting—not a lot. Some people are doing this work because it's the right thing to do, and then, of course, we know to your point earlier, other folks are doing this work because there's a financial implication right. for the work. When you describe when you talk to companies um, about this type of work, do you use a mix of the two different arguments to to
2: frame it? Well, as you're too trained to, a thought here mm-hmm. traditionally board members were recruited from two fields primarily two fields CEOs and CFOs
3: mm-hmm.
2: that meant we were totally locked out in the beginning of that yeah. Yeah. And that, was, and, and that was around compliance governance is what I call it, because how many people were how many black CEOs a brown people CEO that you see back in the 50s, back right. in, the, in the 70s, in the 80s? How many black people or brown people could climb a pole and then become ascend to the CEO slot? None. <laughs> okay. Zero. I mean, he could be picking up trash and now CEO of a uh, waste management. <laughs> okay. Yeah. There's not a lot of Brown people that, that can have that type of trajectory as it relates to career path. And so we were automatically locked out. Mm-hmm. So, at term fit meant the fact that I go to a school A, I go to country club B, mm-hmm. and now I network with that particular group. All right, and now a board appointment comes of comes available. Hey Roosevelt, we have a board appointment over there at ABC Company. You want it? Yeah, done. That's mm-hmm. how it was. The ultimate good old boy network. And so, therefore, now that we're shifting from the compliance governance into mm-hmm. stakeholder governance where you have to take into account profit with a purpose
3: mm-hmm.
2: talent how are you going to maintain talent mm-hmm. because today the relationship between companies and employees have become truly transactional now mm-hmm. it's transactional mm-hmm. While you have the, the, you know, the quitting, the quiet quitting and and people saying, you know, I don't I'm not working for a company if it doesn't have a purpose and it doesn't stand for something. It's what I'm not going to do. And so they see the CEO pay is like five thousand to one to the average pay in the company is what they're seeing. They're seeing the fact that they're having to have partial public assistance They're having to put utilities in their kid's name because that credit is so bad. They're having to go and get payday loans from payday lenders. And once you get on that treadmill, you can't get off. All right. It's what you cannot do. So they're seeing all of this stuff, right? And they're seeing the CEOs making hundreds of millions of dollars. And so if the CEOs and your senior management is transaction, well, I can't be transaction based. Mm -hmm. And so we have that breakdown. Mm -hmm. We break down now. And and so it's hard to put Humpty Dumpty back together again. Yeah. And and the only way that's going to come back together again is that you got to change the composition of the board. Yeah. In capitalism,
3: mm-hmm.
2: the board is the first among equals, is what it is. I mean, you can talk about all this other stuff. Yeah. It, doesn't, it just doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. If you don't change that board, <laughs> it's background noise. And you and, and you take these to stack. Stats. The average CEO CEO tenure in an S&P 500 company is six years. Mm-hmm. So if I know I'm only going to be there for six years, guess what I'm going to do? I want my hundred million dollars. <laughs> That's right. OK, when you look at, you know, most CEOs, they know that their tenure is short.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And they have a number as one of the several CEOs has stated to me, Roosevelt, I want to leave this company with a hundred million dollars plus. No. I, the average age of an S&P 500 company used to be 60 to 70 years. You know what it is now? 20 no. years. 20 years. So, wow. So it's dropped from 60 to 70 years, the age of a company, S&P 500 company, down to 20 years. Now, if I'm a CEO and I'm only, my tenure is only five or six years. And as an investor, let me ask this question, Anthony, do you own stocks? Uh, yes. Yes. How long do you hold a stock on average? You would you would say? Oh,
1: so so generally I I have it managed so I don't play around. Okay, all right, all right. And and so that's for Robin Hood. And and generally it just I follow the I have Robin Hood and so I follow the kind of trends to figure so out. So you really
2: got out. an index and ETF there, et cetera. Some mm-hmm. of those well months ten months based on what the asset manager is doing, the money manager and managing the you know the funds. Mm-hmm. And and so so if you take that, let's say let's say six months to a year that you hold the debt that you hold the stock. And so now you got the CEO's tenure at five or six years. The company's tenure is at 20 years. You mm-hmm. only hold the stock for a year. Wait a minute here. And the board's tenure is what? 10 to 12 years. Okay. So mm-hmm. who has the institutional knowledge here? The board. The board. Right. The board. Mm-hmm. And so everybody else is short term. Mm-hmm. Short termism, Right. I want my hundred million dollars, and I'm out, and I'm gone. Five or six years, I'm out of here. And that type of mentality is what has caused a lot of problems in our society, and have these companies because they're not dealing from the standpoint of sustainability, companies to last. Everybody have their own little self interest I'm focused entirely on my on my own self interest. That has to come back into play, and the only way it comes back into play is by the board because the board hires who the CEO. CEO runs a company Mm -hmm. and the board is involved with strategy of the company on what that strategy is going to be for the company to do what? Mm -hmm. To live longer than a human being. A company used to live longer than an average human being. Now it does not. Think about that. Think about you go to work for ABC company. That company might make it 20 years, might not. Think about that for me. It gives you
0: pause hey everyone thank you again for your support of entrepreneurial appetite beginning this season we are inviting our listeners to support the show through our patreon website the founding 55 patrons will get live access to our monthly discussions for only five dollars a month your support will help us hire an intern or freelancer to help with the production of the show of course you can also support us by giving us five stars leaving a positive comment or sharing the show with a few friends thank you for your continued support
2: and so Therefore, it means the fact that we have to invest in ourselves. We have to invest in our community. We have to build businesses in our community so that we can hire people in the community so we can grow the communities is what we can build. And so and if we don't take the time to understand how capitalism works, mm-hmm. we will be the rug, which everyone else step on. Mm,
3: yes.
2: so, so just that simple. I mean, it's, this is not cracking atoms here. It's real simple. <laughs> you're giving us some insight here today. We are- it, is, it is, it is, it is real, real simple. And you also, when you look at, from the standpoint of, of ESG, you heard of ESG, right? Mm-hmm. Environmental, social, and governance. That's getting a lot of backlash from politicians and things. And this is what I what I tell people. I was on a flight coming back from uh, Malaysia. We were going through, Europe, I had to go through Europe and, and Germany and come back to Atlanta. And we hit some terrible turbulence. And the uh, pilot came on and said that we're going to have to bear through this because I can't add traffic control, can't give us additional space. We can't move from our space because so much traffic out here tonight on the planes. And he said that, you know, with the climate and things here, these storms are getting more intense. So it's making, you know, flights a little bit more turbulent than it used to be. And this guy sitting next to me, he's, oh, what is the two or three degree difference? It don't mean nothing. That's that Al Gore crap there. He said he started the internet and then he talked about this climate thing and two or three degrees don't mean anything. I said, sir, let me ask you a question. What is your body temperature? Oh, 96, 97. I said 98.6. What happened when he hit 99.6? What happened when he hits 100.6? You don't feel too good, do you? But we're only talking about a couple of degrees. <laughs> exactly, right? Yes. we talk about a couple of degrees. And what happened when it hits 101.6? And how long can your body withstand mm-hmm. 101.6 fever? Can it withstand it for two years, three years, five years? No, it cannot. The planet is the same way. It's a delicate balance. One or two degrees makes a difference. It's what it makes. Now, if you like fishing, guess what? Do you want the, the stream polluted where you can't fish? Mm-hmm. Do you like to hunt? Do you don't want the bars burned down where you can't hunt? So that's not a partisan issue. So when you see these, these politicians up here talking about ESG on the east side, on the environment, they don't know what they're talking about. And most Republicans, most of them are hunters and fishers. They don't want this stuff polluted, but they don't want polluted. They want to fish. They want to hunt. That's what they want to do. And when you get to the S piece, you know the you know, the social piece. There, companies have to address the double bottom line. Okay, mm-hmm. they have to do profit with a purpose. Number one, you're not going to pollute the the, the the water in which you know the community. We use in the community. You're not going to you're not going to make products that's going to hurt society and your customers. Which, is, but think about this slogan: We are making products so we can reduce the number of customers that's buying. You <laughs> that a mission statement you're going to put on your website? <laughs> Tell me that. Are you, you going to put that on your website? Buy products so you can die, so we can reduce the number of the number of customers that we're going to buy. On no, you can't. No, you're not going to do nothing silly yeah. like that. <laughs> you know, it's what is not going to happen. But you owe it to society. Companies are given a social contract mm-hmm. and that social contract is a license. You're given a license by the government, which is the people. The people represent the government and that license give you lots of advantages. OK, you can take on debt. You can live in perpetuity is what you can do. Mm-hmm. All right. And so you can use the company to build products and services. That serves a need for the community while supporting the community. OK, what you can do. And that's paramount. You also got to have what? A diverse workforce, non-political workforce is what you have to have. And in my opinion, the Supreme Court, when they ruled for Citizens United, where companies could donate money to a politician, that was the worst set of legislation ever because it made companies have to take stands that polarizes their employees. What it did because prior to that, if you said no, if, if, if it was a no, nobody asked you for money.
3: <laughs> mm-hmm. they
2: asked you for money. If no, they're not, they're not going to ask you for money. If they know they can't get it from you, So now you have what companies can now, based on that ruling, can donate to politicians. And so now, if I'm on the banking committee and you're a bank, and I come to you and say I want you to support me and and da 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 da, and I like to get a hundred thousand dollar donation, you're not going to say no because that's your that's your regulator. You're not going to you're not going to say no. You got one of the other ones that and this particular guy, too. Guess what? He are not for women's rights. And so now guess what you've done to your employees? You, you have now alienated a percentage of your employee base by supporting this particular politician. But now this politician also happens to be your regulator. Now you see the predicament. Now you see the predicament that this people get put into now. Yeah. But yes, that's where it goes back to the board. If you're going to give money, a company going to give money to politicians, that should be approved by the board and 75% of the shareholders. Let the shareholders decide. Let them make that dis- that determination, okay? It's what happens.
1: This is a great point, a great time to ask you a question. So when you think about, from your experience and your insights, when you think about board members and C-suite leaders, what would be your advice that you give them on helping to shape their company's corporate philanthropy, right? Like how do you advise folks to really influence their organizations, their, their corporations to support efforts that benefit our communities or that benefit causes that are important to us.
2: Well, that's where again you have to have people in the room that understand the community. Mm -hmm. A lot of people are not in the room that understand the community. Mm. It's what they don't they don't have. Again, you go back to what I stated. How long am I there as a CEO? Five years. What's the age of the company? Possibly 20 years. What's the age of the stockholders that hold in the stock that can bring down the iron hammer? One year, two years. What is the what is the driving force in the most stable of that organization? The board. <laughs> <laughs> see, you see how it just comes. You can go out, but it all comes back to the board. So your question, you can go to the company and you can go to the outreach, uh, you know, lead within the organization. And that individual have limitations is what they have. But so they've been told exactly what to invest in and what not to invest in. And only if they get, you know, social activism, OK, using these electronic pacifiers, I call them. You know, the, mobile, the electronic pacifier, right? And we hug, it, we kiss it, we hold it, we, we tuck it in at night, right? All of That's those true. things. And so if I do some digital activism and things along those lines, then I might be able to push the company in different directions, right? It's what I may be able to do. But as Americans, we have such short memories. That's true. We have such short memories because you go back to when George Floyd was murdered and all of the companies come out on what they're going to do. You know, a lot of it was greenwashing, all right? It's what he it was. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. There was nobody to hold them accountable. Yeah. No. Now, you sitting on that board and you had the diversity of thought and things and the spread of purpose on that board, then you would follow through on those. What you mm-hmm. want to follow through. All right. And I know I sound like a broken record here, but this is how capitalism works. That's it. I mean, mm-hmm. it, I mean, that's, that's just the way it is. And, mm-hmm. and the only thing will change it. The only thing that changes that is the fact that you have to have people on the board that understands it and know that we have to invest in our employees who live in the communities. We have to build the communities. We have to pay our part of taxes so that the school systems can thrive, the businesses can thrive, the infrastructure can thrive, all of those things in where we work, live and play. We have to do that. That's being a responsible company. It's what that is being. And again the group of individuals that have control over that is the board. Yes. They don't like what the CEO doing and doing They big fire CEO and get another one. Right. <laughs> That's, That's it. right. Is it
1: it. So, thinking about the board and how the board really moves the needle, as you're saying, in terms of policy and sets the, the culture and the trajectory for uh, corporations, what advice would you give to anyone on this uh, podcast or anyone who listens to this in the future? If they want to be board members in the future, what are like three
2: pieces of key advice that you would impart to them? Start now. Start now. Mm-hmm. What I mean I start now with the fact that if you have a company, you start a company, you also want to have you a board of advisors. You want to have two or three people that you respect their advice. You respect them as as, as uh, individuals is what you respect, expect, uh respect. And so they can help talk you out of trees. All right. Talk you down out of trees is what, is what they can do. And setting up your governance within your company. OK, from the outset is going to allow you to run your company. OK, as if you had thousands of shareholders, every company should be run like that. Even though it's a private company right. that is going to teach you co- corporate governance. It's what it's going to teach you. Mm-hmm. And so in so doing, you're going to be deal- building those skill sets. So as your business grow and you grow along with that, along with other companies you're involved with, working with, partnering with, etc. cetera. Now you're building that skill set base so you can now ascend to a publicly traded company board. Okay. It's what you can do. So that natural progression is how you can go about doing that. But every company should have a board of directors, to at least a couple of people is what they should have. Okay. In government, like is IBM. <laughs> okay. Get you get a book on board governance, set up your committees, run the meetings with Robert Rules of Order. Okay. It's what you do. And now you understanding the rules of engagement. You'd be amazed at the number of board members that sit on corporate boards making five hundred thousand dollars a year. They don't know Robert Rules of Order. <laughs> mm. They don't know how to run a board meeting. <laughs> they don't know how to do that. <laughs> OK. And so you start out of the gate on this and it becomes just natural to you as you progress. OK. Along your career. And you also want to go on the boards of nonprofits. Pick a couple of nonprofits and things, go on those boards, and that's going to build your network is what that's going to build. People are going to see your thought leadership. They're going to see how you interact. They're going to see what you bring to the table. And now they're going to now bring you in on other boards. OK, it's what they're going to do. And also to the nonprofit gets the benefit of your thought leadership and your financial contributions and things as well. And you don't want to sit on a nonprofit board and you don't donate. It's what you have. You have to do that. Mm-hmm. So back to philanthropy where we started. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That, that, that's what it's all about in the program that, that we're doing on this board readiness program. And next year, we're coming out with the CEO program where we're teaching the same demographics. How to be a ceo of a publicly traded company Mm seven-month program tuition free this Mm -hmm. is our way of giving back and paying it forward very Mm -hmm. we are very successful individuals okay it's what we are yeah so we know how this changes the world this scales this changes the world okay and we got an international program we're kicking out kicking up next year that will incorporate the governance in china southeast asia australia new zealand uk Europe, South America. So that will encompass how companies are governed, okay, from a regulatory standpoint in those theaters, okay, around the globe. And so again, giving these individuals the scar tissue that they need and the knowledge and where to go find things so they can be successful sitting around these corporate boards. And because these people that's involved with with uh, me on this, they have the ability to do anything or nothing. And they choose to do this. Because they say to say, they'll, they'll tell you in a minute, I'm part of the problem. Great white male. I'm proud of the, I, I'm, I'm the problem. Okay. And so I want to help right this wrong. And the white boys and girls will tell you that it starts in the boardroom. <laughs> That's where it is. Again, everything else is background noise.
1: Thank you so much for sharing all this insight, Mr. Giles. This has been like so food. <laughs> so my mind. I'm very grateful for this conversation. Langston, I'll pass it to you now.
0: So Anthony, thank you for facilitating. So Mr. Giles, I think about, you know, the the power of, of boards, whether it be nonprofit or corporate boards. I know that there are a lot of long-standing Black institutions that are nonprofits. Right. And one of the things I've been thinking about is age diversity. On black boards, and so I think about uh, like the hundred black men. I think about uh, UNCF, or I think about Thurgood Marshall Fund, or even some HBCUs. And I, I don't, I don't know off the top of my head the makeup of their boards. What I think would be interesting would be if if all of those organizations committed to having someone on their board who represented every decade of being an adult. And so what I mean by that is you can be 18, 18 and 19 being an adult. So an 18, 19-year-old should be on the board. A 20-year-old should be on the board. A 30-year-old should be on the board. A 40-year-old, a 50-year-old, a 60 year old a 70-year-old. However, because I think there's a lot of missed opportunities for not having empowered, age-diverse voices when it comes to our own long-standing institutions and, and, and programs and organizations. And so I wanted to get your thoughts on that.
2: Well, well, the, what you're talking about here is, is generation diversity is what you're talking about. And generation diversity is also one of the future governance that companies are addressing and bringing the younger people onto the board. Some companies are bringing on people that are, that are in the late 20s and 30. Talk, I'm talking about publicly traded company boards. Okay. Because they have to have, because if you look at every company today is a technology company. All right. Every CEO is a technology CEO. Every, every company now, the CEO is a technology CEO. Some of them know it and some of them are learning real quick. All right. the If I'm flying airplanes, the airplane sits on a technology on the belly. Okay. All of the logistics and everything that's required in order to make it run, on, make the trains run on time, right? And so having that generation diversity gives the existing board members a peep into where the puck is going, where the future is headed. What is the sustainability of this company? Because the boards now should be focused on sustainability. We've got to get out of this 20-year cycle, this 20-year curse. This company got to last along in 20 years. Now, when I say 20 years, it's not been that it's going out of business, yet yeah, that could be a big part of it. Also, bought out. <laughs> it was purchased by another firm. And in order to be purchased by another firm, who had to approve it? The board.
0: <laughs> okay. Portia, I want to give you an opportunity to ask your questions.
3: Sure. Thank you, Langston. And thank you for just hosting this podcast. I learned so much. Thank you. Well, I had two questions. The first coming from a standpoint of I, I served on one board uh, for a nonprofit. However, I still feel like I, I um, am a newbie, if you will. And so what advice do you have for how to select an organization that you're interested in being a part of the board of and then how to express that interest?
2: The, that's a that's a fantastic question. What you want to do is to seek out, go and take a look at what boards matches your energy. It is very important because when you're dealing with a board, you're talking about, you, you know, you, you're talking about energy. Where you want to pour your energy into because that's gonna put that's gonna map your level of participation, all right, and your commitment. That's gonna follow it. So take a look at the landscape and see where you feel like that you fit best. And then what you do is that you go and get a meeting with the chairman of the board and the president of the company and express to them boards want people. What boards want is that something that you gotta to bring to a board on what they do not have. So you got to go out and, and landscape the the boards that you wanna be on and do an analysis a forensic analysis of that board and that organization and take a look at somewhat like a SWOT analysis is what you have to do. And then you assess, okay, these are the deficits that they have. And now those deficits, can I feel those deficits? And so if you can feel those deficits and the culture of the organization, all right, and the employees go out the glass door and see what the the employees are saying about the company. Then you can go and, and talk to some of the outreach in, that, they, uh, that they're doing in the community and seeing how that is being well received. You go and read the 990. If it's, a nine, if it's a non-profit, go out to the IRS, pull the 990 and see exactly from a financial standpoint, how well they're doing on the donation side or the donation going up or the donation going down. All right. And so it gives you a real good snapshot into that organization under the covers. And so, and then by doing it, if everything is, if if everything pass, pass your test, now again, you be proactive. You send a letter, email to the the chair, an actual meeting and you have with a meeting and then in your note to that person, you tell them that these are the things that I see that I can assist with and help the company and add value. And any chair of the board that worth their salt, they're going to take your meetings. It's what they're going to do. And I think that what a lot of people doing on board, looking at boards, oh, I want to be on that board. How can I get on that board? And that's not the case, because when you commit to a board, it's a relationship. It's no different than 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 relationships and you with your spouses and girlfriends. And when you talk about corporate relationship. Those things last for 10 years. So you got to be very careful. <laughs> you got to be extremely careful on what boards you go on. Go You got to deal with these people. And the same thing goes on that nonprofit. You got to you, you got to do a forensics analysis on each person sitting around that board. Is what you have to do. And if the chair says they're interested in you, then what you need to do then is that you need to go and have a one on one discussion to each one of those board members. One on one is what you need to do. And I'll guarantee you, once you do that, that is going to set you apart from everybody else. You will be a flying buttermilk, all right, is what you will be. And that is one thing I beg you to do. This audience and whoever sees this video, if you're going on on a board, before you go on that board, after you've been interviewed by the chair, And the the CEO, and before you say yes, go and have a one-on-one with every board member around that table. You will be amazed as to what you will learn, and you will be amazed the data that you're going to get back to understand how these individuals think. And that will then guide your decision.
3: That's good. Thank you so much. I have one other question which is where can we find information about program that you mentioned that board Preparation Program?
2: Stakeholder Governance Institute.
0: stakeholdergovernanceinstitute.com. Mr. Giles, thank you again for joining us today. I have one last question before we log off. What is one or maybe two books that you've read or are currently reading that are inspiring you on your journey that you would suggest for our audience to read?
2: One book is is good to great. That is the excellent book. The other book that I read, and you're going to you're going to spark at this is the Bible. A lot of great stories in it. A lot of good governance in it.
0: <laughs> and so that's I feel like that's the best mic drop I've ever had. Um, and and, and I, I, that resonates with Anthony because Anthony is a pastor. He didn't he didn't miss that as part of his bio, but he he's he's all in ministry and whatnot. So
2: there's a lot of, a lot of great stuff in the Bible. A lot of great, a lot of great stuff there. Uh, I think you guys are doing a good, you're doing a, you're doing a great service here. And, and again, everything I've done in my life have, have brought me to this point of being able to make a difference at scale to change the world. And that's what this is doing by, when you change the board, you change the world. Okay. It's, it's what you do. And so Spread the word on this program. Again, it's tuition free. There's no tuition. They don't pay, a, you don't, you don't pay one Lincoln penny for six months of learning and assistance and getting on a, and a board. We don't guarantee you no board seat, but we don't guarantee you, but you will be fully armed. <laughs> you will be fully armed. That's what you will be,
0: you know, so. All right, Mr. Giles, thank you for joining us again. Anthony, thank you for being the guest host. All right. thanks. Yep. Thank you for joining this edition of Entrepreneurial Appetite. If you like the episode, you can support the show by becoming one of our founding 55 patrons, which gives you access to our live discussions and bonus materials. Or you can subscribe to the show, give us five stars and leave a comment.